0: Okay, as Tim said, we're in Ephesians chapter 1 today, so if you grab your Bible, we're going to read the first uh, 14 verses, and I think it's also going to run on the PowerPoint as well. So starting at verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in christ might be to the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is a guarantee of our, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory so let me just pray now for alan as he comes up uh, just to preach us this morning Father God, we just thank you for who you are, Lord, and we just thank you as we even read about the blessings and we read about the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, Lord, we just give you thanks for the common grace of just amazing weather that we're experiencing at the minute, Lord. We just thank you for that. We thank you that it is common to all those who believe and those who don't believe, Lord. You have been so good to all of us and each day, nature and just all that you give us, screams of your goodness, But Lord, we just think now of this specific grace that has been given to us as believers in Jesus. We just thank you that we have been given um, the great privilege of being adopted into your family, Lord. And this morning, just as Alan preaches, Lord, may that settle in. Lord, may that become even more real to us. May you encourage us with it. And Lord, may you use this passage as well to convict us. Lord, we just pray as well um, for our community at this time. Lord, we pray for those who have experienced loss and tragic loss over the last week. We pray that you, who are the comforter, will be very close to them, will be very real to them, and will be drawing them, even in the midst of tragedy, closer to you. Lord, I just pray for Alan now. I pray. Um, that as he comes to speak to us, Lord, that the words that he speaks will be your words. They'll be words that are directly from heaven, and they'll be words that encourage us, that convict us, and that we will leave here a changed and transformed people because your spirit is working through your word. And we do this, that Jesus may be glorified. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, good to be with you in Ruth Fryland where the sun always shines. The last time I was here, um, actually, was as a, as a visitor. I was on a holiday and uh, drove, were taking some friends down to Newcastle, and we stopped off. and It was July, just about this, exactly this time two years ago, and the weather was just exactly the same. So I assume in July in North it is always like this. I've been here other times of the year, and it maybe hasn't been quite as sunny. Um, but uh, you're blessed. If you there's blessings for you. You live in a in a very sunny part of part of the country. But it's good to be with you today, and uh, God willing, back with you next Sunday as well. Um, and we're <clears throat> we're going to take a little bit of time, first of all, this morning, and then next week, to look at the first chapter of Paul's Ephesian letter. So about 65 years ago, um, there was a Chinese Christian. His name was Watchman Ni. Nee, and he wrote a little book about Paul's Ephesian letter. And he called it very simply, sit, walk, stand. It's very easy to get your head around that. If you want to remember what Ephesians is about, that is actually what Ephesians is about. Um, and here's how Watchman Lee explained it. He said, "If you take the first three chapters, the first part of the letter, it's all got to do with what he called our position in Christ. It's what it means to be in Christ and the blessings that we experience in Him. Um, And he highlights a particular verse in chapter 2, verse 5, which says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him. So when we think about our position in Christ, we think of the word sit. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The second part, from the beginning of chapter 4 through till the early part of chapter 6, has to do not so much with our position in Christ, but how we then live in the world, our life in the world. And the key word there is the word walk. So chapter 4, verse 1 says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the final part from verse 10 in chapter 6 through to the end of the main contents of the letter has to do with spiritual battle. It has to do with our attitude to the enemy. And chapter 6, verse 11 says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. So in terms of who we are in Christ, we're seated, sit. In terms of how we live in the world, we're to walk worthy, live a life that's worthy of our calling. And in terms of the spiritual battle in which we find ourselves, where to stand. That's how you'll remember what Ephesians is about. We're going to look, obviously, just at the very beginning of it, these two Sundays, um, this this first chapter. And this morning, I want to look at the first 14 verses uh, that uh, that David has read to us. And in these verses, what Paul does is launches out in this extended chorus of thanksgiving and praise to God, for how God has blessed us, the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ. Now, I think it can be very easy for us to take all kinds of things for granted. We live in an age of entitlement, where everybody ex- believes that they're entitled to, to whatever, whatever they want. And entitlement doesn't really sit very well with grace or with gratitude. So I wonder if I was to ask you for, just to reflect for a moment on what you're thankful for about how God has blessed you, what God has done for you. I, I, wa- I wonder what comes to your mind. Take a moment and think about it. What are the first things that come to your mind? You know, maybe it's ice cream, uh, at least for one, for one person in the room. Some of you are going to think, well, has not it been just wonderful to have this weather that we've had over the past few days, especially yesterday? Maybe it's a prayer that God has answered in a very specific way. Maybe it's some experience that you've had where God has just seemed to be really close in a very special way. And as you think about it and begin to list the things, there are probably more of these things come to your mind. And you know the old hymn that says, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So I wonder what kind of things you think about. And I wonder how many of us in thinking like that would think of spiritual blessings, not just the physical blessings, but spiritual blessings. And that's what Paul is talking about. And that's what we're going to look at just for a few moments here in this first part of the chapter. And what I want you to notice, if you have your Bible, you want to glance at this And what we're going to talk about is from verse 3 to verse 6, Paul talks about how we've been chosen and adopted by the Father. From verse 7 to verse 12, he talks about how we've been rescued or redeemed by the Son. And then in verse 13 and 14, he talks about how we have been sealed by the Spirit. Those are the three things that we want to think about. Now, you'll notice, by the way, in all of that, there's a reference to the Father, there's a reference to the Son, And there's a reference to the Spirit. Now, we find it difficult to get our heads around the idea and the details of the Trinity. The word's not actually in the Bible. But I think this is one of the passages that helps us to see and have a picture of what it means that there's one God who exists in three persons. And here are the three persons of the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're working together to bring about God's plan of salvation. Now, the first part of it, verse 3 to verse 6, has to do with the Father. What does the Father do uh, in in terms of these blessings? Verse 3 is really an introduction to everything that's going to follow. Um, uh, Paul writes, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now, the term heavenly realms... Uh, or the heavenly places, is a very important term in Ephesians. You'll find it uh, later in chapter 1, you'll find it in chapter 2, verse 6, you'll find it in chapter 3, verse 10, and you'll find it in chapter 6, verse 12. And it means that once we're Christians, we exist in a spiritual dimension. Physically, we're in Rutherford but spiritually there's a sense in which we are in the heavenly places. That is the place where God has blessed us. Now, he's blessed us, Paul says, with every spiritual blessing, but specifically in verse 4 and verse 5, we see that he has chosen us to be holy and blameless, and he has predestined us to be adopted with the full status of people, sons and daughters in his family. Now, when we read words like chosen, God has chosen us, or predestined, We inevitably have some questions, don't we? And sometimes those questions can lead to very intense theological debate, and lines are drawn, and people argue, and so on. And there's some very real questions that we might have about these words. If God chooses some people, does that mean he doesn't choose others? And is God right to do that? Or if God predestines people, does that mean that we're just like robots? who have no choice in what happens to us, and we never have any choices to make or any decisions to make? There are lots of big questions. We're not going to be able to get into uh, them th- th- this morning in, in, in detail. I'll leave that to John and the elders. They can, they can answer those questions for you. But let me just say one or two things about it. First of all, I, there's a little story that I came across not that long ago. It, it, it's, it's an invented story, and you'll, you'll realize that very quickly. And it's a story about a Calvinist who dies and arrives at the gates of St. Peter. Now, a Calvinist is somebody who believes very strongly, latches very strongly onto these verses about predestination and choice. God is at work in choosing us. And so he arrives at the gates of St. Peter, and he discovers, he's surprised by this, but he discovers that there are actually two cues to get in. One of the cues has a sign, and it says, Predestined. The other queue also has a sign, and it says, free will. Now, being a Calvinist, he obviously lines up in the predestined queue, And it takes a few moments for the queue to make its way forward, and eventually he comes to the front of the line, and there's an angel there. And the angel says, well, um, welcome, but can you tell me, why are you standing in this line? And the Calvinist says, well, because I chose it. And the angel says, well, if you chose it, you really should be in the other line. So he sends him across to the free will line, and he stands in it for a little while. The queue moves forward slowly, and eventually uh, he gets to the front of it. There's an angel there again, and the angel again says, to him what are you doing in this queue?" And he says, "Someone made me come here." Now you get the point. It's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a joke, but you you realize some of the the complications and some of the questions. More seriously, let me say this. Sometimes one of the ways that people have found it helpful to think about this whole business of predestination is like this. Imagine there's a door. And in the front of the door, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You think, wow, sounds amazing. And you walk through that door. It's, those are the words of Jesus. You walk through that door. And when you come to the other side, you look back. And you see, there's a different message on the inside of the door. And the message on the inside of the door says, In love, He predestined us for adoption. There's a mystery in all of this. But what's really clear about it, and what I want you to take away from this, is that if you are a believer, God has a plan for you. And it's a plan that goes all the way back before the foundation of the earth, And it's a plan that has its focus and that has its fulfillment in Christ. And you'll notice in the text, there's a couple of specific aspects of the plan. The first one is that it's a plan for us to be holy and blameless. Paul says he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That is our destiny. That is what God has for us. And it's also what ought to mark us on the way. The second thing is that God wants us to be his children. And this is where predestination moves from being a big word that makes us nervous to something that actually ought to encourage us. Because if you are in Christ, it means you are predestined for adoption to sonship. And you need to know this morning... That you are completely welcome as a child in God's family. J.I. Packer, Jim Packer, was a British theologian. He died just about exactly a year ago. And here's what he wrote He said, Adoption, being welcomed into God's family, is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Chosen and adopted by the Father. But then Paul goes on. Verse 7 to verse 12, he talks about the Son and how we've been redeemed by the Son. So if it's the Father who has planned our salvation then it's through the Son that He has brought our salvation about. Our blessings are in Christ. We've been chosen in Christ. And the blessings that, we, that are on offer are only, <clears throat> only available in Christ. They're not available apart from Him. And specifically, Paul talks about redemption. And that's a word that has to do with being set free. Um, part of its Old Testament background is what happened when God rescued the people of Israel from their slavery. Uh, when they were slaves in Egypt. So, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 18 says, You were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Slaves, redeemed, rescued. But what you realize is that freedom comes at a cost. And the cost of our redemption is the blood of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to redeem us, to provide us with rescue and freedom. He redeems us from our sins, and he redeems us from the condemnation that our sins bring with them. And that's why, as Paul focuses on some of the particular aspects of of redemption, he focuses on this idea of forgiveness of sins. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 7. Isn't it true that some of the most wonderful words that are attributed to Jesus in the Gospels have to do with forgiveness. Remember the story about the paralyzed man? And uh, he had some really good friends. They thought, well, if he could be brought to, to see Jesus, well, he'd be able to walk again, and that would be wonderful. The best thing we could do would be to carry him in there Um, Of course, there was such a crowd that they had to go up on the roof, had to take a flat roof, had to take some of the, the roofing away, and they lowered him down into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And these friends were hoping and waiting to see that Jesus would allow their friend, enable their friend to be able to walk. And he eventually did. But first, here's what Jesus said to him, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now, think for a moment about something about which you are very ashamed. Your biggest failure. What would it be to hear the words of Jesus say to you, Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Think about the woman who was caught in adultery. She was dragged before Jesus. There were people wanting to stone her, and Jesus, who was the only person who had the right to stone her, said this. Instead of condemnation, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Gives her forgiveness, and he gives her the opportunity of a new start. Not only has God determined that we would be in His family as His children, but through the death of His Son, He has provided us with forgiveness. And He has done so according to the riches of His grace that He has lavished on us. That's the supply. It's the riches of God's grace. It's not limited. It's not rationed. In Jesus, there is a lavish supply of grace for the forgiveness of our sins. But you'll notice that redemption is not just about me and my sins being forgiven. Redemption has a cosmic aspect to it. In other words, something that takes in the whole universe, the whole created order. And that's what Paul writes about at the end of verse 8. He says, "...with all wisdom and understanding," verse 9, "...he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure." Which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. <clears throat> Excuse me. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The end goal of redemption is to bring unity or to unite everything in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's what God's plan is to bring everything together everything together in its rightful place under Christ. Now, you know that the world that we live in was, is not the way it was originally created to be. You know that it's out of joint. You know that it's broken. The early chapters of Genesis tell us the story of the brokenness of our world. They tell us about the way that men and women became disconnected from God, became out of joint with one another, And they even got out of joint with the created order, with all the thorns and the weeds and the pain in childbirth. And we live in the middle of this brokenness, this disjointedness. Everything is disjointed and disconnected. Of course, it's still a good earth. It's still still God's good creation. But it's been broken and distorted. And God's plan is not to leave it like that. God's plan is to bring everything together and to do so under Christ. That's what redemption is. And God's going to do this. That's his plan, and that is his will. So we're chosen and adopted by the Father. We find redemption in the Son. And finally, we are sealed by the Spirit. Now, you'll notice that in these verses, there's a lot about what God has done. But there's also a little bit about what we do in response to all of it. Notice what it says in verse 12. We put our hope in Christ. And in verse 13, it talks about how we hear the gospel and we believe. And if you're not yet a Christian, that's what you need to do. You need to hear the message of what God has done in Christ, that Jesus has given his life to provide redemption forgiveness he's been raised again so that our sins can be forgiven so that we can be set free from condemnation and your response needs to be to believe it and to give your life to the lord there's no better day to do it than today no better moment than this moment to do that it's what the ephesians had done they had believed, and when they did, they received these blessings, and part of the blessings was that they were marked by a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, a seal is something in, in the world of agriculture and farming, it's something you would use to brand your livestock. Even in the ancient world, and this be shocks us a little bit, uh, even a big bit, if you own slaves, you might even put a seal on your slaves. And what it meant was a sign of belonging, and the implication of that was a sign of protection. And the Spirit is given to us as a sign of belonging and a sign of protection. He is the Spirit of promise. He was promised in the Old Testament, and He was poured out at Pentecost. It was his presence, as you read through the book of Acts, it was his presence that marked out who were the people of God. I think it's a great pity that for many of us, the Holy Spirit has been such a subject of controversy uh, for for so much of the time. Instead of being a life-giving presence and companion, he's the one who marks us out as belonging to God, and he's a deposit who guarantees our full redemption. Deposit, down payment, the first installment, guaranteeing our inheritance. Not only has God chosen us as his inheritance, but he has promised us an inheritance in the world to come. And the guarantee of that is that the, the foretaste that we have now through the life of the Spirit. Chosen and adopted by the Father, redeemed by the Son... Sealed by the Spirit, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. A long, long time ago, when I was about eight, I think, so really very long time ago, my parents took me, this is the 1960s, my parents took me and my brother to London on a plane. Now, in the 1960s, probably not very many of you can remember the 1960s, but believe me, in the 1960s, there weren't weren't quite as many people uh, flying in airplanes as as there are today or as there were maybe in 2019 uh, before the the restrictions and so on. Uh, But it was a thing, you you didn't do that. You didn't fly very often. It was a bit of a novelty. And there were my mum and dad and their two little boys uh, and we were getting a special treat. It was a big deal back then in the 1960s. And I seem to remember, I don't know if there's any uh, aeroplane enthusiasts here, but if there are, I seem to remember that we flew on a BAC-111. And one of the peculiarities, I think there were two peculiarities about the BAC-111, if I remember right. One was that the seats faced the back, but the other, the other was that the way you got into the plane was that there was a kind of a, 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 a gangway thing with steps on it that came down out of the back of the tail of the plane. So you walked up you know underneath the tail of the plane and then and you sat facing the back so there we are it was a lot I say it was a long time ago um, and uh, so the memories are probably a little bit vague but apparently when the the in-flight catering came around uh, my parents had a bit of a dilemma now in-flight catering again if you're used to EasyJet and Ryanair all the rest of it we have to pay for for whatever it used to be in the grand old days of flying all of that was part of the ticket. So around came the in-flight catering and my parents had a dilemma because they knew that my brother and, and I were, we were kind of fussy eaters. We were then, not just as fussy now, although you can talk to my wife about that at some point. Certainly I was a fussy, I was a fussy eater. And, and my mom and dad thought, you know, there's no point in us paying extra money for this food because these guys are not going to eat it. And they'd probably paid a lot of money to buy the tickets, to book accommodation in London to give us this this big weekend out. So they declined. But you know, it, it actually was part of their entitlement. It was part of the price of the ticket. It had been paid for. But my parents didn't realize that. And so we missed out on part of what had actually been paid for and was made available to us. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I wonder how many of us are a bit like my family, sitting on that plane, thinking, we, we really won't take any of that, thank you very much. We couldn't afford it. When actually the blessings were already paid for and they were ours for the taking and the enjoyment If God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, why would we want to miss out on the enjoyment of any of them? No doubt a lot of you, and I'm about to finish, but no doubt a lot of you are familiar with the story of the ten lepers that Jesus healed. Ten of them healed, only one comes back to express thanks. I was reading this story a few months ago, and there was just a thought that occurred to me about what was different about the guy who came back. There were several things that were different about the guy who came back. For one, he was the only one out of the ten who came back to say thanks. Another thing is that he was a Samaritan, presumably the only Samaritan of all ten. But the thing that struck me that was different about him was he heard Jesus say something that none of the others heard. Here's what it was. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Isn't it interesting that, you know, they all enjoyed the, the healing, and they were, they'd all been made well, and they could all get on with their lives, but one heard those amazing words from Jesus, the words of affirmation, Rise and go. Your faith made you, has made you well. And the only reason he heard was because he had enough wit to be grateful for the grace of Jesus that had come to him. Count your blessings. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for the blessings that you have brought to us and given to us in Jesus. Lord, help us that we don't neglect these. Help us for one thing, that we don't take them for granted. But Lord, also that we, that we learn to not only thank you for them, but to live in the fullness of the enjoyment of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.